This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, the original Rise and Fall show. We are here doing a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Matt. But friends, tonight I am not joined by Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael is in the midst of potentially having a baby. And so um, we needed someone to fill in and Pastor Michael handpicked. Oh, <laughs> he handpicked the person who would fill the ordained Presbyterian shoes tonight. And so we are joined by, as we were early on into our endeavor into the rise and fall of good of Mars Hill by my good friend, Matt Contreras, which is what his close friends call him, first and last name, so you won't be confused by who we are. Welcome back to Restless, Matt Contreras. It is, it is good to be here. It's surprising that I was... When you phrase it like that, having a, a currently Baptist, and I use that word strongly, currently Baptist uh, layman filling in the shoes of the esteemed Pastor yeah. Michael presbyterian pastor uh, it's, uh, that's an honor if if you don't want to call him by his last name folks you can call him mainstream matt he is the he is the matt not hiding out in the presbyterian bunker up here um and so we are doing something that uh i had not we had not made up our minds if we would do on restless we are doing a review it will be a two-part review um and we will see if Matt joins us for both. We will be doing a two-part review of the special episode of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill called I Kissed Christianity Goodbye, which is largely an interview with Joshua Harris. Um, I had not, obviously, as everyone knows, if you're, uh, if you're following this show, I had not I have not listened to these beforehand. I do not know where all of these are going. And this obviously is a special episode. It diverges from the Mars Hill story. Um, but Christianity Today thought it was so important that they include a long-form interview with Joshua Harris uh, that they created a special episode to do so. And because it's a little bit outside of the reason we're reviewing these episodes, I had not decided we had listeners ask us about it and so we made an announcement that hey if we have a couple more people join patreon i guess that will show us there's interest in it and immediately people join patreon so thank you patrons this episode is coming out uh as a credit to you and so we are going to do a two-part series on the rise and fall of joshua harris uh, because if you've listened to this episode or as you will soon find out Joshua Harris is famously a fallen Christian. He is famously apostate. So Matt, why did they have to include, right? They included him uh, in, in an earlier episode about his involvement in the YRR and at Mars Hill. Why did we need, why do you think they thought we needed a full hour of content about an interview with him now? Yeah, I've been thinking about this because at, at first glimpse, it was like, why is this underneath this banner of the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Because the connection was he knew Driscoll and preached there. But 
and he was popular. Right. But the, the, I think listening with the actual interview itself, it, it seems like maybe they're doing this to try to acknowledge that, that you know, they've obviously brought up a lot of stories about people who have experienced uh, abuse and harm. And it, it almost seems like a way to, to present the gospel to, um, to Joshua Harris, who obviously knows it. But it seems like Cosper's working hard to, to get, get Harris back on board. Yeah, I think you're right. I think especially in the second part of this, everyone will hear I do think that there is a evangelistic motive behind part of this for sure. Um, and we'll see if we find other things because I do think that's important. I do think it is going to be a reasonable question if a podcast interview is evangelistic uh, technique, um, if that is the way to go about it. And I found it at, at normal talking with the pauses and with how long it felt. I found this thing incredibly painful to listen to both this story both the presentation i just and i and i was really kind of lost as as those who know how we're reviewing these episodes go i am always looking for what is the message that they are trying to communicate and i listened to it all the way through once and i i did not have a clear idea and i don't think they had a really totally clear idea however as i listened to it a second time, and I especially listened to some of the um, audio that was added in later, either Mike Cosper's commentary or some of the other people they kind of brought in to do a few, a little bit of commentary on being an ex-evangelical or the YR. I think I found a, a decent, what we'd call a thesis statement, the kind of message they're trying to get across. And now I do think there are other things going on that, that I'll probably talk about as we go with Matt here. But Matt, let me give you the thesis. You can uh, tell me what you think. Uh, when I present the thesis statement, I am not being critical. I am trying to provide a thesis statement that I think Mike Cosper and Christianity Today would accept. And I, and I save criticisms for later if I have any. So the interview episode with Joshua Harris. So they're doing three things. Display the destructive power of the toxic celebrity culture and evangelicalism for all Christians to learn from those who are hurt by it, like ex-evangelicals, that we need to learn from them. And then finally, um, to try and present the hope of the gospel and separate that from evangelicalism. So Matt, what do you think of my attempt, my best attempt at a thesis for this episode? Uh, I'd call it, uh, I'd call it fair. I think it's astute. Mm. And it seems to, I, I, I didn't know a whole lot about his origins but uh yeah the 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 celebrity driven evangelical culture seems to play a big role in in uh where he you know how he got so big so quickly and how his life was affected by the, his success and yeah. uh what he was put up on so yeah i think that's I think it's good great well that's uh that's the that's the kind of co-host i want uh total agreement and even better you have uh, brought us into where the first clip we're going to start with. We are going to start with how uh, Joshua Harris's origin story is presented. So part one of this uh, rise and fall of Joshua Harris is really going to focus on Joshua Harris's role in the Young, Restless, and Reformed. 
and less about his apostasy. Uh, we will focus on that in part two. So this is going to talk about uh, his role in the Young, Restless, and Reformed, uh, the popularity of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, the, the abuse scandal that seemed to ro rock him later, and Sovereign Grace, which was a central organization in the YRR. And then actually towards the end of the episode, Mike Cosper, I think trying to wrap a bow on this, starts saying things like, this is what I want from the church from this whole series. And he makes these very interesting statements that I think are helpful in thinking about the rise and fall of Marcel in general. So let's start with Colin Hansen telling us about the YRR and who Joshua Harris is. Here's Colin Hansen. So a lot of what I was doing in Young Restless Reformed was focusing on that restless part. What I was trying to capture was that this is a new, different movement. Uh, this is not the same sort of Presbyterian circles, the same sort of Dutch Reformed circles. This was Reformed theology breaking out into places where you least expected it. And one of those places you least expected it would have been in the charismatic community, in the Pentecostal community. And you, you didn't expect to see that in these large youth conferences. And you didn't expect to see it from one of the most spectacular boy wonders of evangelical history in Josh Harris. I mean, how many people are writing writing books before they're 18 or at 18 that sell more than a million copies? And you could go certainly around the United States to any corner, especially if you grew up in the 90s or the early to mid 2000s, and immediately everyone you knew as a Christian had either read that book or knew everything about that book and had a really, really, really strong opinion about that book. Um, simply put, there just weren't many young Christian leaders who were as influential as Josh Harris. So in our first clip, we get a few things. One, if I'm Josh Harris today, I probably cringe at Colin Hansen calling me a boy wonder. They came back to that so often. Mike Cosper just kept going back to that yep. throughout this whole episode. Mike Contreras, you boy wonder podcasting uh, hero <laughs> stepping in at the, the last hour. Um, and so we have the, the, the description of the YRR from Colin Hansen, who wrote the original book, that he focused it on the interesting, right? It's the restlessness was the really important thing, that it's this new thing happening reform theology showing up in places that it, you would not expect it and of course you would not expect it in a pentecostal circle because basically all of the reform confessions are cessationist and so what <laughs> we have we have that interesting mix and then we have a major evangelical celebrity I remember watching an MTV spring break special where Joshua Harris's Amit as a oh young gosh. dude explaining like we're here for purity but we can still like be down here it's <laughs> totally outrageous but yeah that you would not expect a young evangelical celebrity to say like i am going to wed myself to calvinism and and one of these um calvinists uh coalition so yeah. what did you think about his origin story as told by colin hansen yeah, I I didn't know much about 
Joshua Harris, I think back in those days. Did you ever read I Kissed Dating Goodbye? I did not. Uh, I did not I was... either. I didn't. I feel like I heard about it all the time, eventually, more so in college than, and that would have been 2007. Um, I heard about it more then than I had ever heard about it before. So, you know, well after it was written and right. I heard a lot of people talk about it. I didn't really have an opinion on it um, because I hadn't read it and I always meant to get around to reading it. And then I just started reading other stuff. Yeah. Um, so the book was released in 1997. Um, so just a yeah, little so bit. 10 years late to the party. Though, if you are so interested in this content, that is the kind of book you can find at every Goodwill in this country next to a Left Behind book uh, if you need some help with dating from Joshua Harris. I do think by the time that you and I are just slightly um, too young to have been that thing's that book's target audience, right? Yeah. It's a very like, it's a very Gen X kind of book, kind of dissatisfaction. This is a great thing. So in case, and we have a lot of listeners younger than us, we're going to listen to Joshua Harris for the next minute explain the motive and heart behind I Kiss Dating Goodbye, his, his book that he has now denounced, retracted. Matt Contreras, as you listen to him explain the heart behind I Kiss Dating Goodbye, you will be playing yay, nay, or nuance. Yes. So, yes, you will. You are going to tell me. So, obviously, as our listeners know, you are going to be telling me if, with what he explains, why he wrote the book, what his heart was behind it. Are you a yay on the heart of the book? Are you a nay? Or will you cop out with a nuance? And if you try to go to nuance, I'm going to try and push you over the head one way or the other. So, well, Pastor Michael goes to nuance all the time, right? So <laughs> he does. Um, and I, and I'll say you this do I, push. Proud, I, I do push. And I, so, yay, nay, or nuance on the heart behind I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Premise of I Kissed Dating Goodbye was that sex before marriage was one of the worst, most dangerous things, one of the biggest deals when it came to the list of sins. At least that was the way I thought as a teenager growing up in an evangelical church. And I Kissed Dating Goodbye tried to play out the implications of that. Like, if this is if this is really this bad, then we need to take this seriously. So I was a zealous, uh, idealistic kid who was saying, guys, we need to really love Jesus. We need to honor each other. And so dating is leading to compromise. There was so much fear around AIDS. There was so much fear around the possibility of unwanted pregnancy and abortion. There were all these bigger battles that were being waged in the culture. And so I basically said, we need to go a step further. And dating is actually a thing we should avoid. Why put ourselves in a situation where we could compromise? The personalities of Harris and Mark Driscoll couldn't be more different. Sorry, we just needed that clip. Just I have decided to just leave that in where so we could hear Mike Cosper let you know that Joshua Harris, who he's going to interview for an hour, is nothing like Mark Driscoll. Um, <laughs> we'll come back to that. But for now, we have a more important question. Matt Contreras, Joshua Harris, looks back on his naive 18-year-old self and the book he wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yay, nay, or nuance? Are you with 
18-year-old Joshua Harris when it comes to the the broad strokes of what like the what he just presented for a minute are you yay nay or nuance to the purpose as it was explained now content of i kiss dating goodbye i'm uh i'm gonna go new no i'm not i'm gonna go yay i'm gonna go yay on this all right you're i'm struggling to find (laughs) so and here's here's the explanation that i'm gonna give and you can feel free um, great i'm I'm already feeling great You've just given one of the least popular possible takes ever on a book that was retracted and has been has been trashed. So I'm already happy. Here, here's the explanation, though. So given it's like it's you want to nuance it, but then you don't. Given the Bible, like go back to what our culture looked like, what it currently looks like, um, where. It is now, even like in the 90, on 97, like sex before marriage is considered a given. And it's considered something that you should do. It is healthy to do this. And compare that with what the Bible has to indicate about sexual immorality. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Let the marriage, Hebrews 13, let the marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now I say this as a person who has committed much sexual immorality through pornography. So I'm, I'm including myself in, in how I think about these things. I would, I would affirm, yes, sex before marriage I, I don't know if I would call it one of the worst sins, but there is a distinction placed on it in scripture and mm-hmm. it is really important. And, and it is something that the, the entirety of scripture talks about, not just, I mean, I mentioned a couple new Testament verses here, but this is, um, this is a very important topic and a very important thing in our culture's saying in the time he's writing that this is, you should do this. This is something you should you should start to form these these bonds with other people, um, and it it doesn't matter. And it's actually strange and weird if you don't. You're you're not going to be able to go to uh, a marriage fully informed if you don't do this before marriage. Right. So the the thing I you know what I would tend to disagree with is like there's all this fear about AIDS and unwanted pregnancies and abortion. And all this. Yes, those are, those are problems, but I would hope, uh, and, and I, you know, driven by those in my, my own walk, you know, I had, I had my own sin. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to, to throw myself underneath the sin banner as much as possible here. Cause I'm not trying to make a distinction that we are in, in any way better than anybody else. I, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to make that claim at all. Mm-hmm. But the, the one thing I, I would say about all those things is hopefully our what should drive us to an obedience to God's word is not the fear of AIDS and unwanted pregnancies right. and abortion. It should be the fear of God and wanting to obey him. They, these are consequences that do happen out of sexual relationships that start before marriage. But we don't obey God and try to follow his word based on the consequences. We, we should do it out of a fear and and love of God. Yeah. I think that 
I, I am a I am a yay. I'm I'm always here for the I'm always here for the the no good takes. I think the only in what he presented the potentially uh, the only potential thing I'd want to nuance is so that's why we have to avoid dating at all. Right. Again, now when you're writing to a basically high school audience in the '90s, yeah, that's probably pretty good advice. Yeah, you probably should be done with this, right? Um, and and um, however, well, of course, like man, I didn't read this book. Yes, yeah, I, I have no problem with the, the seriousness of sexual sin. Um, I think I do think the book itself is potentially known for at least a certain degree of fear mongering, though I can't speak to that for sure. Not ideal if it is. Right. Um, the problem, the problem with purity culture is we didn't end up in a better place after it. It didn't right. <laughs> appear to positively affect purity at all. And that's the, that's the, that's the end of the day problem. Yes, there were scare tactics, but guess what? Like those, those scare tactics are the wrong way to encourage obedience and godliness, but basically all of their bad predictions have come true. But the other issue is, is that it, it just didn't, it didn't produce godliness, it didn't produce godliness on a, on a large scale at all. And obviously, even sadly, in the end, with Joshua Harris's life, is it it doesn't. So th- that's the problem with purity culture. Purity, the idea of like let's teach people the importance of purity. Yeah, obviously, I mean, Paul says every other sin you commit outside your body. Like there is a, there is, I mean, Paul is is talking about the harm of it, but he sets it apart from literally every other sin so it seems like it could be a big deal right and so fornication all all kinds of sexual immorality are are a sin and are a problem and and need to be dealt with um with even potentially extreme looking measures to the culture and the problem is purity culture failed but i think we're at the point and this is why i I'm, I'm willing to go yay with this book is if purity culture was suffering from scare tactics and legalism, I just don't know that that is the, that's the thing we're really, we're confronting now. Right. I don't. And so my answer, my yay <laughs> could just be, could be a, again, a reaction to this moment, which is, is so far removed from 1997. Yeah, it's hard to argue that things have gotten better in, right. as far as sexual morality is concerned since 1997. Right. Um, and yeah, that's, I'm with you on the nuance part. Like I said, you want to nuance it, but then you don't because right. no. nuance is, you want to try to avoid that at all costs. No, no, I was just going to say, like, think about it in like, and if you're just dying because we didn't nuance it, talk to your own kid about these issues. And if like you hear that and go, well, there are things I agree with and things I don't. Like, no, that's that would be dumb to do, to be like, I want to, again, I, I think that there is a great love of exact, precise theological statements and, and exact, like, well, how could this impact everyone? And that is fine and in good in its place. We just don't live in a time that needs, that it can even handle an extensive clarification. We need a 
we live in a time where it is hard to say in many work environments that men that man and woman were created in two genders right. by God in his image. Like we live in that hard time. We live in, right. we live in a hard time where even like picking up the confession and to go to a different issue and say, um, when it says there are only two reasons for divorce, people go, well, that's going to lock a lot of people in bad marriages. Like, you know, like you can pick almost any issue and we're just a sensible biblical teaching is, you it feels the need to qualify it away there is a place for nuance but there's a reason that every almost any question you can be asked everyone's like well i guess i kind of want to do nuance right and yeah that's such a great point and i can i'm already like hearing you know the voices in my head of i don't know if many of the listeners would do this but hearing the voices of people who would who would want to say things against this and what i would add to my explanation is like this is not if if you're if you're i the way that you work out sexual morality uh and and abiding by god's word for abstaining from sexual immorality works itself out in a way to where you have like a young couple that engages that starts a sexual relationship before marriage and they're then shunned and ostracized and they they you don't have an environment of we hey we all have our own sexual morality that plays itself out we have all of our own ways that we deal with temptations and we've all fallen we've all are sinful if you don't have that environment and it's very much you will you failed the test. You're now done for good. You can't be in our church anymore. There's no practical way for someone to kind of work through those issues um, and come to uh, a place of understanding with the church and the church to kind of lovingly walk with people through sin. That should hopefully be a goal of the church is that, hey, we're all sinning here. We are all sinners. We can be open about our sin and uh, come to the one who will make us well. We are all repenting together. So yes. if the culture is built to where nobody can confess any type of sin or any type of struggle without fear of persecution or fear of ostracization, then, then there's a problem there. All right. Let me push into this one more time and we'll, and we'll try and move on. But this reminds me of, I was, I was, someone was posting about the differences between like how the Puritans would handle sexual sin and modern evangelicals. So the Puritans, it's, you know, son gets caught, uh, girl gets pregnant, right? They're not married. They're young. And the son and the father goes, wow, son, you've committed a grievous sin against God. And, and you've probably brought shame to our family. Let's go to the pastors. I'm going to take you there where you can confess your sin. And we're going to go buy you a wedding ring. And welcome to this child into our family. You're going to repent. You're going to marry this girl. And I'm going to enjoy having grandchildren. And so you guys can have a lawful relationship. And people view that as like, um, yeah, almost insane and unloving. But, it, but it's the opposite. It's you sin. Let's confess it. And then let's carry Take on in responsibility. Godliness. Yeah. And carry on in godliness and go make more babies. I right, I'm excited for this. Right. And then modern evangelical. 
Son gets caught with a girl. Son, you need to feel really bad about this. I don't think we're going to tell anyone about it. I am going to send you to college. You're not going to get married. There, I want you to really try to not fall into any of these kinds of sin. Go ahead, put off marriage until you've got your degree and I have a job. And and maybe at a men's night, tell some men about this and, and try and feel better. And yeah, of course, of course, everything is ruined when that's the advice that's being given. Yeah. Um, I, I, anyway, so sorry, we could go on to this for a long time, but let's listen to a little bit of the early flack Joshua Harris took to register the critique that was coming. One of the first that I remember was Boundaries and Dating was a book that came out that specifically addressed I Kiss Dating and Bye. And that's kind of what happened was other books on dating had to sort of address the elephant in the room, which was this mindset that dating was wrong. And they sought to do that in a thoughtful, you know, biblical way of saying, here's a text that that addresses this mindset, you know, I kiss dating goodbye isn't everything. It's maybe an unhealthy way of dealing with it. And that troubled me. I remember being in the Barnes and Noble reading this, just, you know, standing in the bookstore reading this going, whoa. And I remember going to CJ Mahaney, who was my mentor and communicating that I was troubled by this. And he essentially challenged me like, Josh, you're being too concerned about people's criticism. And part of being a good leader is you don't bow to this kind of criticism. You got to be strong. And so I, you know, I kind of took that to heart, like, oh boy, I need, I need to be a strong leader and just kind of stand my ground. And you know, I look back on that. That's not CJ's fault. I needed to be more willing to think for myself. That's part of the, the problem that I experienced. But that was a key moment of, of really not listening. I am uh, struck by Harris when he says, I need to do this to be a good leader. I need to think more for myself. Because it seems like throughout this interview, he builds the case that he is unable to do that. Like, and I'm not, and I don't mean that as a, as a harsh criticism, sure. but more as an observation that much of what he's doing is, uh, like how he is working things out is that he he makes mentions of like leave me alone I'm gonna do this or I want to think for myself but then it seems like he will just listen immediately to to whatever comes in and then base his life and his uh, public reactions accordingly based on the the pushback he receives yeah yeah uh, I I. I think that that is clear. Uh, we, we aren't going to listen to this clip, but right. The key example. And I remember when this happened on Twitter is Joshua Harris announces he's going to create an online deconstruction class for $200, <laughs> which wow. Um, and then he, he literally deletes it because he gets so much pushback from the deconstruction evangelicals. Yeah was very um, quick that it was gone yeah even though he had that promo code if you if you had been harmed by by his work you could yeah. do it for free That's um right. but uh 
Yeah, he, it was like right away. I think it was like a couple of weeks, right? Or like a week. Yeah, it was days. It was days. days. It was up for days. So, all right, let's listen to two clips um, about um, what happened in the Sovereign Grace Meltdown. So as a ministry, as a church planting group, um, as the place pumping out the music people liked, um, really fell apart uh, due to uh, an apparent cover-up of sexual abuse um, that there's debate still today over if C.J. Mahaney knew about it um, beforehand and how long this was ongoing and all kinds of questions to it. But, but this was one of the very important things that started breaking up together for the gospel and T4G. And obviously in Harris's story uh, plays a pretty important role in the trajectory that he was sent on. They're under this brand of we are sovereign grace. You can walk into our church and you'll get the same great experience as you do, you know, it's like Starbucks of churches. Well, when you find out that some of the beans are poisoned, that affects the entire brand, right? And so all of that was taking place. All of that was falling apart behind the scenes. And when it did, I, I made choices as a local pastor and it involved not just defending CJ and the other apostles. During that time, Josh began to recognize that there were elements of Sovereign Grace's culture that were rigid and legalistic in ways that were extra biblical. That included issues like child rearing, homeschooling, women working outside the home, and courtship and dating. All these years. So let me pause it here for two quick things. This, this is one of the clips that just, these are the kinds of clips that they slip into this that drive me crazy. Yeah. One, we do have the, of course, fascinating uh well it was a big box church so we rolled these suckers out and you know if we built them they would come right i'm you know i'm excited when i get a a new chain restaurant nearby you know i'll you know i'll get in the drive-thru if a chick-fil-a comes because i know i'll have that same great experience so leaving this this kind of big box church mentality aside so this there's a sex abuse scandal right in the sovereign grace ministries also I guess I'm also leaving aside that he called CJ Mahaney. And again, I'm probably leaving this aside, to be honest, because he's an apostate. So I don't really trust the terms he's going to use for things. He called CJ Mahaney and the others apostles. I really yes. hope that is not. I really hope that was not their title, by the way. Yeah, um, I caught that too. It was like the, the apostle. Like maybe, maybe it was a slip, but yeah. I, I hope that's not how they were known. Correct. I hope not. So listener, if you know, if uh, those folks were known as apostles, go ahead and let us know. So what, what gets me is, okay, so there is an abuse scandal and let's even grant the truth of it for the sake of my next point. It caused Joshua Harris to question a lot about the church's legalistic structure. There are things that could cause you to tr lose trust in, right? It could cause you to lose trust people in the leadership if they are caught to be covering this up it could cause you to lose trust in the the whole structure of the organization right it could cause you to lose trust in a lot of things but it caused joshua harris apparently to lose trust in teachings about child rearing and homeschooling and dating of course these are all contexts where abuse can happen but as seems to often come up we are getting a like a a gut check on well all the all the conservative practices are the kinds of things that we're we're calling into question right it 
seemingly we're just including anything that would be remotely considered uh, conservative reformed theology and questioning it at all because there was an abuse scandal instead of looking at that specific abuse and what went into that. Now we're calling into question everything else, even if it that's those things aren't contributing to the abuse or right. um, but I, I feel like I just want example like like instead of just right. mentioning like you could have legalistic practices about these things and maybe they did it's just when you slip it in like that it's like give me an example of that right. instead of like well now do we not need to homeschool now like what is homeschooling bad like right. is what about child rearing do I need to completely rethink that Give give us an example of what that legalistic practice yes. was. Yes, the ambiguity does is doing a lot of work because there could be specific examples that would be unhelpful. But let's listen to uh, what is honestly, I'm sure for him, a really hard thing where it talks where we get into the. This is the last clip we're going to listen to about the sovereign grace scandal, and so here we'll listen to this clip about pastoral failures and the mishandling of. Who's like? I want to share the findings with you. You guys made some massive mistakes, some key mistakes in how you you should have reported things to the police and you didn't. And I had been in a mindset of saying, you know what, if if guys on my team, you know, have made significant mistakes, no matter how much I love them, even if they were well intentioned, I need to be willing to let my, you know, let them go, fire them, you know, to protect the church and so on. And this guy's on the phone saying, this is the most significant mistake. When this person came back and asked this and told you this, you should have gone to the police at that time. You tried to handle it in a reconciliation kind of format and so on. And Josh, you were the leader at that time. And I, that was, that was the first time that I considered that maybe I wasn't going to be the pastor of covenant life for 30 years like cj like john piper had been of bethlehem like john macarthur was of you know his church like that was my whole structure and vision of my life and that moment of realizing my own failure was really the beginning of a lot of my own self-identity falling apart all right so obviously a heavy clip hearing joshua harris reflect on on apparent failure as a pastor and mishandling of abuse. What do you, uh, what do you think about that? It's like you alluded to uh, at the beginning of this episode. It is, it's hard to hear. It's, it's very difficult. It's very sad. Um, If you kind of like, you know, having, having that brought to your attention, having somebody on the phone with you. um, And when you're in this type of position, uh, you know, I believe that that's obviously going to be uh, a very important moment for you and a moment of uh, that, that really obviously affected him. Yeah, yeah, totally. It did um, because it is seems to put him on the trajectory where he will leave the church. Right. And which will right. will follow up on. I am certain there is. There needs to be both. So, right, he is uh, chastised in this phone call for not calling the police when uh, an apparent crime is confessed to him or he becomes aware of. Now, 
it's possible the situation was not clear enough for him to understand it was a crime. Um, I don't know. But if it was, it was, in fact, his duty to call the police. Right. It is his duty. The state God has given the state a sword to sort these things out. However, and this is perhaps the other unpopular side. I guess both of these are kind of unpopular. The other side is it's also his duty to work towards reconciliation as a pastor. And I'm here promoting a both hand, right? That doesn't relieve you of any responsibility to call the police, to have the authorities do a criminal investigation of any kinds of abuse or allegation thereof, right? But also it's your job as a pastor to meet the offender and the offended as a pastor. And now I am not claiming you need to get them together. And, you know, I'm not saying that, that these things are fast or easy, you know, or that would be appropriate, but I am saying that being a pastor still requires you to be a spiritual leader, even as the kingdom of the state enacts justice on the situation. It's, it's a great reminder that, pastoring is not like preaching does not make you qualified to be a pastor right. that is of like a lot of guys will go into pastoring because they do you know they've read their bibles maybe and they've you know they went to a seminary or not and, but they, they can just speak well and they can get together a sermon but that is that's not the hard work of being a pat that the hard work of being a pastor is not coming up with what you're going to talk right. about on Sunday morning. It's the actual shepherding of your flock and, and having, uh, you know, having the ab- ability, uh, learning the ability, I guess, too, of this, these are people's you're handling a, an entire flock who are all in different spots and there are going to be difficult things to navigate through. And right, I, I would heartily affirm what you're saying. You have to work through both. And it's not saying that you're going to get two people together and they're going to hug it out and they're going right. to be the best of friends. That's not necessarily what reconciliation looks like there. But yeah, call the police if you need and, to call the police. And yeah. uh, we're going to have to work through this. And, and the police might tell you they can't be in the same place. And then that is another right. pastoral thing you'll have to work through and they can't see each other and and that's fine because that is in sadly in some cases a necessity uh in in the world of sin we live in so since i'm talking to a non-pastor let me ask you a non-pastor question (laughs) well it kind of brings us to the last two clips we will play um before we do part two about apostasy the last two clips are where cosper and the, the episode get into what, what are we doing here? What, they, uh, what Joshua Harris hopes for the church and what Co- how Cosper thinks this kind of interview is helping. So let's, do, uh, let's play these two clips. And I think the Christian message uh, provides that, that life, that pathway of constant repentance. And I, I'm so, I mean, I, I, there's, when I put my Christian hat on, I would just say, absolutely. I mean, the church should be known for its repentance, right? I mean, if it believes everything that you're describing about the the gospel and and that reforming work of the Holy Spirit, 
it should be known for constantly repenting. So I think that I think that that's uh, I think that's beautiful, and and I I would love to be a part of encouraging that response in people who are still in churches. And I might end up in the church again down the road. You know, I don't I don't want to shut the the door to that. I still do struggle with even the what you what you describe as the gospel over and against law there's still a part of me that says it's still a good news that if you don't receive you go to hell forever if that is at the very core of the message does that justify the kind of manipulative controlling abusive behavior i mean i think so okay so we we got a little bit into the apostasy here yeah so what we have so let me just say one thing pretty clearly this this is i think potentially where where we go where we where i mean i don't know about our i I assume our listeners would feel the same way that is so painful to listen to a guy just kind of mumbling his way through through this idea i'm really Uh, glad they kept the pauses like you they're they're very helpful to kind of understand the the state that he's in as he tries to explain his point again he's he's thinking through what he's trying to say but it also i keep coming back to i just don't mike cosper kind of alluded to this like that this interview could have gone three different ways depending on what time of the week they had recorded it and I just wondered, does would Harris give the same answer depending mm. on you know is he is is he saying this because Mike Cosper is the interviewer? Right. If there is a different person interviewing him that's not a Christian, is he going to say any of these things that he hopes for with the church? Um, I don't I don't know. But also, what I what sticks out is you you don't like the gospel because you this isn't you're again you're merging the manipulation you and the abuses into the fact that god has a has the ability to judge and that god commands us to live uh in certain ways like we are to believe in, in Jesus Christ. Um, Christ has paid the penalty for our sin, that we have sin at all, and that God is just if he sends sinners to hell. Like this is, this is what you have a problem with as you kind of work through these, all these other things. What your whole experience and everything you've walked through has led you to is, I don't like the fact that God has this power and that he has the right to do this i don't like that message of christianity and you can add in all the other things you want to to it and obviously your experiences are going to affect affect you as you kind of work through these things but that's a huge thing he just kind of threw in there um and attached like if that's the message which i don't like does that justify all these abuses yeah i i think as you listen to how this you as I as I begin to think how this thing got edited, um, 
man, I think they purposely avoid or cut out probably all of his opinions about Christian orthodoxy as much as they can. Man, like God's justice is something we love, not something we hate because we're Christians and we love God as he is, right? That is the that is the sign of a regeneration is that I can love and accept God even in the parts of him that the world hates and that my flesh would naturally hate. I think the other big thing you see with this is you know he is redefining all of these religious terms. How do you think he is defining repentance? That's the real, because that's the one he brings up a lot. And I bet it's different. I more question what does he think people need to repent of? Yes. Um, you got it. It's, I, I would, on the, the statement on its surface, I'm a yay on it. Yeah, we should be, we should be continually repenting. I just wonder what he thinks the church needs to repent of. Because right now, how he's, how he's acting out in the public eye and his, all of his issues with Christianity, I think he would include, we just need to repent of basic Christian orthodoxy, and that would be good. Well, I didn't tell you this before. So long before we were ever going to make this episode, Joshua Harris had posted his letter explaining why he was leaving Christianity to social media. And he starts with Martin Luther's quote that all of the Christian life is to be one of repentance and that he's continuing to repent now, as in give up Christianity. Right. Again, it's this, it's, it's, so it's exactly what you're, it's exactly what you suspected. What he means by repent is Christianity needs to be willing to change its mind about all the things it believes. Whereas repentance is actually being willing to admit and change in all the ways I fall short, right? Condemn myself, not right. say, you know, I guess we were kind of wrong about these things about dating and right. right uh, obviously the, the secret thing in the background that everyone knows he's talking about is LGBTQ issues. Right. No one, no one should, no one should pretend that isn't part uh, that the church's treatment of that is not something to be repented of. And it's fine to repent of anything. That's a sin. But the point right. we're, we're just talking about the church needs to be known for constantly changing the, you know, being willing to change its mind. Yeah. Well, and abandon what right. uh, what the bible defines it's like the, it's like the answer to like you brought up dating again so this is where it all started i i just gotta say we've got you you're sharing your screen with me i love the the image that they used they made the the kiss dating goodbye book in a trash can <laughs> like that that's just a great that's a great graphic but the answer to you know the the issues with purity culture is not to say, well, I guess we were wrong about sex before marriage. We should probably repent of that and encourage that in our children uh, as they enter, as they turn 13 and 14 and 15. Let's, hey, you know what? Uh, we were wrong about that. That's not the answer to how, you know, we, the church definitely can have issues in how we go about trying to follow God's word, but yep. some there are some things that the Bible uh, speaks to that are hard, uh, that have been historically difficult uh, to determine uh, what's being said. Which I think is so. There are divisions in there, you know, about practices, baptism, and 
uh, eschatology and all those things. But there are also things the Bible speaks to that are not hard. Um, there are things that are clearly stated uh, and they're not difficult. And it, the church doesn't need to repent of trying to follow those things. It should right. be, we could repent of maybe how that was how that was presented if there was abuse or intimidation or something involved in there if there was as he's alleging as he's you know alluding to manipulation uh then yes we can repent of those things but we don't need to repent of holding to a biblical view because especially when god has just clearly indicated what it is i'm glad you brought up the the LGBTQ stuff. I just, I, I sent you this picture ahead of time. Like it was, and it, it drives home to me that Josh Harris, I feel sorry for him because he just seems so culturally defined by what anybody's telling him. Like, I think it was like two weeks after, cause I looked it up. It was just a couple weeks after he, uh, you know, had fully announced he was not identifying as a Christian that he just showed up to a pride parade and he's like wearing a, a rainbow t-shirt and holding like a rainbow pastry or bagel or something. And he's just like, kind of like smiling. And he like posted this uh, on social media and it of course got reactions on all sides of like people that were mad at him for going this way. And then there were other people that were mad at him. Like, why are you identifying with us? Like, how dare you like just try to, to do right. this? It was, it's interesting to watch, but he just seems like a guy who, is just carried about um, to and fro by whatever he, whatever people react to him as. And I and just hope that he, he does come back to the yeah, church. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. Because here's the difference between Jesus Christ and his people and the world. They are not going to receive your repentance or your penitence or whatever self-flagellation you do. They are never going to accept you ever. And, and the truth is, is like, even in, even in reconciliation that happens between people, like it is possible you could damage a relationship in a way you could never repair. Mm-hmm. But this is, the, this is the actual good news is that Jesus Christ is ready to receive your actual repentance. And, yes. and, and that's, that's the difference. But I want to listen to, Mike Cosper, before we leave, I think he gave a final interview clip that that I think he I mean, he basically says, here's why I'm doing the show. And so I want to listen to that uh, as our last clip. I mean, I think part of the reason we're in this project is that to try to sort of as strongly as we can say that that it absolutely doesn't. The way that evangelical celebrity culture in particular has allowed the fallout of bad leaders um, get framed in a transactional way is massively problematic. The heart of our repentance is the fact that we've we've allowed this sort of calculation to take place that goes, you know, I mean, the, it's the quote in every interview I did for Mars Hill, which was, yeah, I mean, this was a disaster and everybody knew it was, but hey, look at the fruit, right? And you hear that in church after church after church. But I don't think that's inherent to the message. I think, I think inherent to the message is lay down and die. Inherent to the message is Philippians 2 and the, you know, the story of the Gospels and, and Jesus going to the weak and the oppressed and not favoring the rich and not favoring the religious. I think so much of where we are is, is this syncretism around cultural power and influence. So Cosper says, 
right? What comes out in every interview, what he's trying to fight against is this idea of, hey, you know, look at all the fruit. This kind of, this pragmatism. Is the rise and fall of Mars Hill going to help that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know if it will. I, I, think- I honestly don't. It's, it's you know, I, I, I believe his overall goal is to try to combat, you know, is that he sees people um, who, you know, generation speaking out against the church a lot, and he doesn't desire that to happen. And he's trying to make a clear distinction between um, that the, the, you might have a tainted experience with Christianity, but Christianity itself isn't tainted. Like Christianity truly right. lived out is not. And I disagree with some of the ways he's expressed that in this podcast yep. um, and, yes. and what he's trying to distinguish from. Uh, but obviously I think his, his intention here and in, in why he's included this interview seems to be that he's really trying to make a hard push to evangelize those who are listening, including a bunch of evangelicals. Right. The, he is in this case, he's the abuse of it does not negate the truth, the, the truth. Um, I agree that there is, there is a lot more of a revision going on to Christianity than just this pragmatics and celebrity driven culture. Um, for sure. And I think that's I think that's honestly one of the other big functions of this interview on kind of a meta level is I think the inclusion of Joshua Harris and at, at the inclusion at this level almost gives them kind of a plausible like whenever like right we just did a you know we did a whole week of stuff on Kristen Dumez who basically ran two episodes of this show. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so I think Christianity Today, now maybe they would, maybe they would just back her because they're Christianity Today. Right. Um, but they, but they have a full like out, like, hey man, we're, we're coming to all the people who were there. Because again, I think that like, there is a place for, now obviously most of the people who were actually there in these events are refusing interviews. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so. You know, I don't. I don't even blame them for then oversampling, right? Some of the people yeah. who who want to do interviews, right? You got to you got to do what you got to do when you are when you are a journalist. As I'm reminded right. every time I listen to one of these episodes, <laughs> um, but you, it gives them this total out, like that. No matter what anyone says on this podcast, they can always say, "Well, we 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 we're drawing from lots of different perspectives because." Right. There were lots of different perspectives of people who were interacted with and have opinions about this. Mm. Um, and of course, the problem with that, and I, I, again, I think that'd be fine. I think that you could do a fairly flatline journalistic piece doing that. And I do, and again, I don't even, I think this episode is very evangelistic, which even if there are some, um, there are some big, there are some potential issues. The issue is that you actually aren't doing everyone who is in the room. Unless you're going to tell me, John MacArthur and all the master's people that criticized this from the day it began have all refused interviews, which is possible. It's possible. Um, But they were all there. 
and they right. were all part of these circles and they all were super critical of this we were vocal um, they were vocal critics um i don't know if uh jed ostich who was a ghostwriter for driscoll was questioned or interviewed we're going to try and get an interview with him um that would be exciting but there are just it seems that the sampling of who you chose was has been very selective to me it seems like they're driving at a certain audience they're trying to be very charitable to the ex-evangelical people that are going to be listening to this and now maybe we're hitting them with the hook of the actual evangelistic message here but that first episode where john MacArthur was mentioned very briefly but then it was like oh he but he voted for trump later and then we mentioned Rachel Held Evans, one guy that's one small criticism of her, and Cosper says, that's not entirely true. It's like, right. Rachel, like, she was defended immediately, despite, I mean, just, like, go and read what she wrote. Like, this is... Right, it's public. Uh, yeah, it's it's out there. She was, you know, she was definitely not holding to biblical christianity in in her in her work it just wasn't there so we we've we've kind of catered the podcast it seems like we've been selective with who we're talking to uh, but again i i don't we te- to caveat it we don't know who they asked right. and who refused and, the interview and i just we, would be interested to know and mike cosper for that reason i would love to interview you love to have you on the show man to, to ask come on mike question. Let's do it. Yep. I think that'd be enjoyable. I think we could have a good time. I also have wondered if this is one of those moments where like a, where the dog catches the fire truck and doesn't know what to do with it. Like you've done all of this, like look at these problems and we're uncovering it. We're telling the story. And the response you get is all these ex-evangelicals saying like, yeah, that's why we left the church and Christianity (laughs) isn't true. And you're like, Oh wait, wait, I, who could have seen this coming now? many listeners saw this coming with how these things were presented right but i i've also wondered the other side is this kind of like we need to pull back a little and we need to try and share the gospel and for that reason the same reason i'm glad mark driscoll is still attempting to share the gospel i am glad christianity today still is despite it's many uh the many problems i have voiced as we've been listening to this show Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Restless. Thank you, Matt, currently Baptist Contreras, for joining us. I think you did a great job filling in for Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael will be back next week when we record The Rise and Fall of Joshua Harris Part 2, and we cover the issues of apostasy. Hey, I talked to my friend for a really long time, and some of the parts that didn't make it into the episode are behind the paywall for patrons, talking about failures of pastors, talking about misunderstandings of law and gospel. It's all there. Join us. Hey, if you're at T4G right now, have a good week and let us know how it's going. Later.